We'll be in the Psalms this morning as we continue our series, Heart to Heart with God. Our ushers have Bibles for you to use this morning. If you already don't have one, just make sure you get their attention as they walk. If you're unfamiliar with me, my name is Nicholas Todd. I'm the Minister of Mobilization here at LEFC. Today, we have have an opportunity to worship in a variety of ways. One of those is actually with your bulletin. On the inside of your bulletin, there is a place where you can color. I encourage kids and adults, if you have one, as you color, pray. As, as, As you worship, worship in color in this moment as you listen today. I would also love to see it, if you're willing to share it with me at the end of the service. If you take the time to color your bulletin, I would love to see it at the end, and I'll tell you what we might be able to do with it. We have a place even where we might be able to hang them for next week, so come talk to me after. I want to give you a heads up about today. I am not going to be going verse by verse through the psalm I chose. We'll be taking it as a much larger whole, uh, dipping our toes into a larger genre of the psalms, as well as giving some broader ideas on how to respond to such writing. It, uh, it took me a great number of years to, to appreciate the Psalms. I'm still on such a journey. One of my earliest memories with the Psalms was in seventh grade when I was put in in-school suspension. Now, in-school suspension is, as it boils down to the logistics of it, uh, they put you in a closet and they tell you to do your homework for the day. Now, I did that for a number of days. But uh, before I was able to get to my homework, I had to copy Psalm 119 out of the Bible. Now, Psalm 119 is the longest psalm as well as the longest chapter in the Bible. Uh, Funny enough, also, that uh, I was in in in-school suspension. It is a psalm about delighting in and living by the law. Genius move, school. Genius. But as an adult, as I got older and I started to engage Scripture differently, as I started to teach more and more, I would frequently research some some thoughts like this. I would would search this. I would write, how familiar was the Apostle Peter with the Psalms? How well would the Apostle Paul know the Psalms? Or even, would Jesus know this psalm? I mean, how do we really know? We can get close. There are kind of odd questions, but in some of my research, I was able to learn about what education looks like for, for a Jewish child in the first century related to the psalms. I took all these details together, and I feel like I have a wider scope of things. So, with that time, I developed a, very, a relatively simple idea about what are the psalms. The Psalms are the hymnal and prayer book of the Jewish people. Again, the Psalms are the hymnal and prayer book of the Jewish people. A people that lived with oppression and suffering. It's an important note. They are, the Psalms are the experiences of people that are celebrating and mourning and lamenting items in their faith. To say that the Psalms are the prayer book of the Jewish people means that Jesus, the disciples, 
as young Jewish children, they would recite them. They would hear them. They would memorize them. They would hear the voice of their Jewish people in them. Think of it this way. The Psalms are the hymnal and prayer book of the Jewish people. Jesus was Jewish. The Psalms are thus the hymnal and prayer book of Jesus. Jesus knew his Psalms better than than we ever would or could. I love that Jesus quoted the book of Deuteronomy during his temptation in the wilderness. And thank you, God, for the book of Deuteronomy. But Deuteronomy was not the most quoted book by Jesus. Any guess? Psalms. Psalms is the most quoted book by Jesus. He quotes from Psalm 8, 31, 35, 37, 41, 69, 78, 82, 110, 118. And there's one more. In his final hour on the cross, he reaches back for a psalm, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22. What about the other writers of the New Testament? Paul, Peter, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The writers of the New Testament would not abandon their Jewish past and education. It was foundational. When Jesus came around, these New Testament writers looked back on that foundation and saw Jesus in the Psalms. Not including Jesus, the Psalms are quoted and referenced more than 100 times in the New Testament. So wonderful about the Psalms is that they collect a really wide range of human experience. There is celebration, there is joy, there's mourning, there's bitterness. And we get to celebrate, I feel, on this day because we have a record of the human voice addressing God. This is a record of prayerful human speech to the creator of all things. And that is the direction that the Psalms take. It is us to God. It is not God addressing us. Walter Brueggemann wrote this. He said, the Psalms are not for those whose life is uninterrupted equilibrium. He goes on to say, such people should stay in the book of Proverbs. You see, Psalms are from the perspective of the bottom, those that are marginalized those that have experienced oppression, those that have experienced suffering, those whose equilibrium is regularly interrupted. Just reward and proper punishment is Proverbs, written by King Solomon from the top, not written from the bottom. The Psalms wonderfully give us twists, turns, bumps along the way. The Psalms are also honest. They give us vocabulary for honest speech before God. And what should we do with them? We need to enter into them. We need to make them our prayers, feel what they express as they give some honesty about the human experience. We're in Psalm 58 this Sunday. Listen as I read. Do you rulers indeed speak justly? Do you judge people with equity? 
No, in your heart you devise injustice and your hands meet out violence on the earth. Even from birth the wicked go astray. From the womb they are wayward, spreading lies. Their venom is like the venom of a snake, like that of a cobra that has stopped its ears, that will not heed the tune of the charmer, however skillful the enchanter may be. Break the teeth in their mouths, O God. Lord, tear out the fangs of those lions. Let them vanish like water that flows away. When they draw the bow, let their arrows fall short. May they be like a slug that melts away as it moves along. Like a stillborn child that never sees the sun. Before your pots can feel the heat of the thorns, whether they be green or dry, the wicked will be swept away. The righteous will be glad when they are avenged, when they dip their feet in the blood of the wicked. Then people will say, surely the righteous still are rewarded. Surely there is a God who judges the earth. How about that for a psalm? What kind of psalm is that even? There are four different genres of psalms in the entirety of the book of psalms. We often know the praise and thanksgiving psalms. Psalm 58 is most frequently included in a genre called laments, to lament something, which means to give expression to loss and grief. Laments are the largest genre in the book of Psalms. To narrow this down further within the laments, Psalm 58 specifically is called an imprecatory psalm. Repeat after me, imprecatory. One more time, imprecatory. Imprecatory psalms are cursing psalms. This is not, as someone misheard me earlier this week, this is not impregnatory psalms. These psalms do no such impregnating, but they do express loss and grief and curses. How do you express loss and grief? I'm the youngest of three kids. I have an older brother and an older sister. My sister is about three years older than me, and I have, I have a lot of positive memories of our childhood. One of them was playing tie-up hide-and-seek. I was usually the one tied up, and the idea is they would, I would get tied up, and they would have as much time as it takes me to get out to go hide. And inside of me, I feel like I'm really good at untying myself from things. But there is something sick to it, isn't there? Um, I, I, uh, I laugh at it a little bit, but it's really not too funny because just a couple weeks ago, my oldest son attached my youngest son to a fence with zip ties. <laughs> just like playing tie-up hide-and-seek or attaching a sibling to a fence with zip ties, I mean, this is not anything anybody should repeat 
I was not so cordial with my son uh, when he did this, and uh, he happens to be on camera one this morning, so I'm grateful that he gets to serve. Um, I digress. My sister, siblings. Uh, my sister and I would play tie-up hide-and-seek. She was wicked smart, and she would use words that I didn't know to insult me, but they weren't even insulting words. She once called me a filbert, and man, it tore me up on the inside. I was so mad. My dad just laughed. A filbert is a hazelnut. I mean, how dare she, right? She would also do something else uh, on repeat. Um, I'm not sure how accurate it is, but at least in my memory of remembering my sister, she would watch the movie Fiddler on the Roof. Now, here's what they say in the movie. Everyone is a fiddler on the roof, trying to scratch out a tune without breaking their neck, trying to balance joyful living and tradition while surviving in an uncertain world. The play and, they, and movie it follows a gentleman named Tevye. Tevye's name, it's a Yiddish form of, of Tobias or Tobiah, which is a biblical name in the Old Testament. Tevye is a Jewish milkman in Tsarist Russia at the turn of the century. This is a man that has gone to Hebrew school. He's learned his people's history. He's entered into the prayers of his people. And I think he might know a thing or two about prayer. I have some of them. Let's listen to some of his prayers. Now, these are to God. He says, Sometimes I wonder, when it gets too quiet up there, if you are thinking, kind of mischief can I play on my friend Tevye? Another prayer. To God, Tevye says, it may sound like I'm complaining, but I'm not. He is. After all, with your help, I'm starving to death. Oh, dear Lord, you made many, many poor people. I realize, of course, it's no shame to be poor, but it's no great honor either. So what would be so terrible if I had a small fortune? And he goes on, expressing it the only way you can with such strong emotions in song. I think some of you know the song. If I were a rich man, yibby-dibby-dibby-dibby-dibby-dibby-dum, all day long I'd biddy-biddy-bum. If I were a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work hard. Yibby-dibby-dibby-dibby-dibby-dibby-dibby-dum. Lord, who made the lion and the lamb, you decreed I should be what I am. Would it spoil some vast eternal plan? If I were a wealthy man. And that's Tevye praying. He, he keeps praying. He says at one point uh, to God, again, I know, I know, we are your chosen people. But once in a while, can't you choose someone else? These are clever prayers and thoughts between him and God and express some bitterness and sorrow. And one more step to the right of that, one more step for more intensity, and you have some cursing psalms. Psalm 58. 
There are slugs, stillborn children, ripped out teeth. Are you familiar with the brand name Dayspring? They make cards, greeting cards. Two were in the office, not planted by me. I really wondered if I could find it, and I did. Here they are. The first card I picked up in our office says, you're special to him. You're special to me. Happy birthday. And then, down on the left side is a reference, Psalm 139. I praise you because you made me in an amazing and wonderful way. The other card says, you're thought of with love and remembered in prayer today. And then at the very bottom it says, how precious is your constant love, O God. That's Psalm 36. Can you imagine some imprecatory greeting cards? Uh, when, uh, as LAFC has moved into our new building, we've done some design change, and we, we have our own cards. I thought I might put a couple together today. All right. It's all from Scripture. Hmm. May God's burning anger overtake you. Psalm 69. I grabbed three. May you be banished from your community and found guilty. Psalm 5. I kind of feel like I should soften it. Mm. Love the Todd family. <laughs> All right, one more. Let's bring it back to Psalm 58. Let's see what we can create with that one. Mm. May God break the teeth in your mouth. <laughs> Psalm 58, 6. You ever received an, an imprecation in the mail? Think about that. May God break your teeth out. I have an issue with teeth. I'm not really sure why. Um, it was so exciting as a child when you would lose your tooth at school and they would give you this tiny plastic uh, treasure chest and you could put your, your tooth in the treasure chest and then you could come home and you could give it to your parents. As I started receiving such dental generosity from my own kids, I started to get a little grossed out at the collection of teeth. Um, I started thinking, what am I supposed to do with all of these teeth? And in some level of perversion, I thought, oh, I could make a necklace. Uh, but then I just made myself gag even more. Um, and if you're curious, the answer for everybody here is the trash. Put them in the trash. But it, this is Psalm 58, 6. May God break the teeth in your mouth. What picture would Dayspring put on that card? 
When I read Psalm 58 today, you realize that there was no imagery that was put together. I shudder to think of the possible imagery. And imagery is important in all of this. Imagery is a part of lamenting and imprecatory psalms. I'm going to read it again. I'm going to read Psalm 58 in its entirety again. Listen again just to the graphic imagery the writer, David, gives words to as he thinks of his thoughts, frustrations, and anger. Psalm 58. Do you rulers indeed speak justly? Do you judge people with equity? No, in your heart you devise injustice, and your hands mete out violence on the earth. Even from birth the wicked go astray. From the womb they are wayward, spreading lies. Their venom is like the venom of a snake, like that of a cobra that has stopped its ears, that will not heed the tune of the charmer, however skillful the enchanter may be. Here's one. Break the teeth in their mouths, O God. Lord, tear out the fangs of those lions. Let them vanish like water that flows away. When they draw the bow, let their arrows fall short. May they be like a slug that melts away as it moves along, like a stillborn child that never sees the sun. Before your pots can feel the heat of the thorns, whether they be green or dry, the wicked will be swept away. The righteous will be glad when they are avenged, when they dip their feet in the blood of the wicked. Then people will say, surely the righteous still are rewarded. Surely there is a God who judges the earth. What do we do with such horrific lines? First of all, don't dismiss them. I think we deny something when we act like we don't experience depth of pain or sorrow. I appreciate Tevye and the simplicity of his words, how much they communicate. He recognized the creator of the lion and the lamb. He sung about a master plan, and then he still talks back about what his family in life is like. That's honesty. And we're taught to live much of our hurt in denial, to hide our pain and sorrow, and to ignore what eats away at us. If we refuse to lament, we refuse to be healed. Again, if we refuse to lament, we refuse to be healed. Imprecatory psalms, imprecatory prayers and songs included in the genre of prayers of lament are ways to approach God with the realities of the sorrow, of the frustration, and the anger that can consume and distract you. It takes, it takes a good bit of honesty to talk at this level of pain and torment. I believe many of us do experience it. It's just hard to put our finger on it because we've been taught not to recognize it. So I want to share with you part of someone's story. 
I think you'll recognize the person. I wanted him to fail. It's difficult to admit that all these years later. But as I look back, without a doubt, that's where I was at. I wanted him to fail. It was a fellow pastor that I worked alongside of and, and for about a year's time, Little things would happen that clearly him being my senior in years and experience in ministry and me being relatively youthful and quite frankly at the beginning of ministry, uh, I felt like he often took advantage of that experience difference. But I just kept staying the course. I didn't throw him under the bus. I didn't complain to anybody else. After all, I just enjoyed doing what I was doing and, and I didn't want to ruffle any feathers or cause the waves to start rumbling through the, the office hallway. So I just kept going. But then one night changed everything. Before the entire elder board, he makes a presentation that basically was advocating for an increase of influence and resources because God was at work in his ministry. And he used his data in comparison and contrast to the ministry I was leading, basically implying God's not working there, God's working here. While this is playing out before a group of elders, I felt completely violated and lied about and anger was growing as I'm watching this happen before my eyes. Then one of the other pastors who was much more mature in his years leans over to me because he's sitting next to me and says, how is this presentation making you feel? And the only word I could say was hurt. By the end of the next day, that person, that fellow pastor that had basically humiliated me before the entire elder board was fired. And you would think that in that moment I would feel somewhat vindicated because the truth obviously must have been discerned or known. But it didn't change how I felt. I still wanted him to fail. I wanted him to fail. Thank you, Pastor Tony. Lamentations, chapter 2. Cry out to the Lord. Let your tears flow like a river day and night. Give yourself no relief, your eyes no rest. From Matthew, 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We, you, need to grieve. It has to be done. Because grieving and mourning makes a space in the pain so that it can be filled with the comfort that Jesus talks of. Denying sorrow doesn't make us happy. It makes us numb. So how do we express sorrow in healthy ways? Psalms of lament and curses. We don't do this to get God to do something, but we do it to express a rage that is too deadly to be kept inside of us. It will devour us. We speak rage in poetic language, I believe, so that we don't act on it. And having expressed rage before God, we are free to follow Jesus. So what about Jesus in the imprecatory Psalms? These prayers and poems of gross imagery don't have to play out. Teeth don't need to be broken or ripped out. We don't need to dip our toes in the blood of our enemies. Amen and amen. And here, God's vengeance did not strike the enemies of whom David wrote. And I wonder why. The execution for which David is calling down for didn't fall on David's enemies. But I believe on Jesus Christ. In a torturous moment, when the ugly of selfishness and vengeance and jealousy and pride are taking, when they're taking us over and they're leading Jesus to his execution, we have the beautiful example of the prayer we might say next. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. The imprecatory psalms within the genre of the psalms of lament lead to the cross of Jesus and to the love of God, which forgives enemies. I cannot forgive the enemies of God. I cannot forgive my own enemies out of my own resources. Only the crucified Christ can do that, and I through him. In this way, the crucified and risen Christ teaches us to pray the imprecatory psalms correctly. The fruit of such a, of a response like this is that what you are experiencing is that you can now be honest with yourself. I get to put words to the contents of my heart. I get to direct them toward God, not in a threat to God, but in trusting God to hold the pain while I rail and while I cry. That opening up helps each individual to have an awareness of what is happening internally while also not shouldering those dark feelings alone. These are the prayers of God's people. And we have such wonderful opportunity to connect and be shaped by the creator through such prayers. And there are risks to not crying out to God with Psalms of Lament or imprecations. I'm sure there are more than two, but two is what I've settled on for today. Number one, if you keep these kinds of things to yourself, never expressing them, just covering them up, pushing them under the rug, 
Each time they are stirred within, you risk the rage coming out with your family, your coworkers, with people that you deeply love. And then the anger and hurt you've experienced is just recycled for generations to come. You become the monster to defeat the monster. And number two, our prayers suffer and we continue down a path of being poorly formed and poorly shaped by the Lord. Earlier I said, we are taught to live much of our hurt and denial, hide our pain and sorrow, and to ignore what eats away at us. When denying hurt, when hiding pain and sorrow, and when we ignore what eats away at us, it overflows into our prayers. We pray in a way that is disingenuous. When we pray in a way that is disingenuous, we learn fakery. If we fake it in life and then reinforce it with prayer, we do damage to our soul. Pastor Tony told part of his testimony earlier, and there's more to the story that has come all the way to how he has acted here at LAFC. More of the story, uh, Pastor Tony felt a level of shame for the aggression that he was feeling towards the colleague that betrayed him. Even after the colleague was fired, after he was removed from his employment for his behavior, Tony still wanted him to fail. Think about those feelings. Isn't it already some level of justice that a job was lost? That with the loss of a job, there's a likelihood that this person's family would have to move. They'd have to find new employment. Kids would have to start new schools. They'd experience family pressures, and they would just generally have a level of stress that does not bring peace. But Tony still felt that hurt, and it metastasized into something short of wanting to dip toes into the blood of enemies. And so Tony asked for help. Tony asked for help before it overtook him. And after such a call for help, he was able to have a place where he could, without fear, communicate the darkness, the hurt, the betrayal that he felt, where he could talk about wanting to curse this colleague. And he needed a safe place to express a rage that he knew was too deadly to himself to be kept inside. He found it. He did his soul work with a community of support. And he's the person that leads our church this day. It was because of seeing his own thoughts of destruction, hearing his own voice of ruin, and fearing a bitterness that would ruin him for all future ministry, that he was able to come to me after a hard season that I had here at LEFC. In just a few short months, I had been falsely accused of trying to start an affair, as well as told my family was, uh, I was told my family was involved in the occult. At this juncture in my life, I can't imagine anything worse than false accusations about intimacy and commitment to spouse and God. Tony knew that if I didn't take a path looking for help, it would likely lead me to destroying others, destroying my family, destroying the church and destroying any other relationships that had been built. And I found that place. It was a combination of things. In addition to seeing a counselor that specialized in pastoral care, 
my prayer life changed significantly. I was able to rage at the injustice. I was able to talk and pray about wanting to call down fire on these enemies. Four items remain in my prayers. To this day, as I look back on my time and what was formed then, I now regularly pray through the Beatitudes. I regularly pray the Lord's Prayer. And I recite the Apostles' Creed almost every day. Each one centering my mind and heart on the orthodoxy of my faith, reminding me of the upside-down kingdom I'm part of and speaking the words of Jesus from the pages of Scripture back into my soul. The fourth item, I joyfully pray that the Lord would deepen the faith of my accusers and that they might see a growth of the Spirit in the lives of others because of their witness. No accusations on them, no cursing them, no bitterness. I can joyfully Pray those things. God can handle our protests. God can handle our hurt. God can handle our pain. And God can handle what eats away at us. This rage needs to go somewhere. And where should it go? It should go to God, where it can be expressed safely. God may not bless your words, but you can say them. It can be healing to say it in his presence. As we close our time, I encourage you to join others in song. Take some time in personal silence. Pray that you can identify the hurt in your life. Tell Jesus and listen. Maybe Jesus wants to say something to you for your healing. Let me close in prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, most holy is your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. And yours is the glory. Forever and ever. Amen. There are three things I'd love for us to reflect upon in light of Psalm 58. Number one. What is your natural response to things that make you sad or mad? It's a rudimentary question, but we can be honest with ourselves. 
Number two, what messages about crying did you pick up as a child? What do you think about those messages in light of John 11 and Lamentations 2.18? And the last one, I'd love for you to choose one of the Psalms of Lament for individuals. The list is on screen. It's also in your Engage Guide this week. I challenge you to let the words of the psalm become your words as you pour your heart out to God. There are a number of ways that we get to worship. Lamenting is one of them. Today, uh, there was other worship. Some, some people colored. And if you did and be willing to share it with me, I'd love to see it. Come up after the service. Let me close with a benediction. May we communicate with God with grit, with guts, and with honesty. May that moment with the Father be one of eternal depth. May Christ Jesus help us reconcile the pain and sorrow with our idea of justice. And may the Holy Spirit bear witness that we are children of God. Go in peace with the imprecatory psalms and Jesus by your side. I'll see you next week.